Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Dave Perry. On today's show, which we're recording October 25th, 2022, you'll hear a conversation about the recent announcement about Canada's efforts to modernize NORAD, featuring Dr. Andrea Sharon, Sherry Crosby, Brigadier General Chris McKenna, Brigadier General Patrice Sabarin, and Dr. Martin Tompkin. This episode is an extract from our annual procurement conference, which took place on October 25th in Ottawa. This event was made possible thanks to the support of the Department of National Defense's Mines Program, our strategic sponsors, Lockheed Martin Canada, General Dynamics, Irving Shipbuilding, and Davy Shipyard, as well as conference sponsors, the Royal Norwegian Embassy in Ottawa and Innovation Norway, ACO Frontac, BAE Systems Canada, Bombardier, the Boeing Company, PAL Aerospace, and Babcock Leonardo Canadian Aircrew Training. Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by Davy Shipyard. Founded in 1825, Davy is a premier builder of advanced specialized icebreakers and many other ships for the Government of Canada and the private sector. As Canada's longest established, largest and highest capacity shipbuilder, Davy has delivered many of the most pioneering vessels ever built in Canada. Davy generates thousands of good jobs and billions of dollars for Canada's economy. Through its work, Davy is helping to build a sustainable marine industry, combat climate change, defend sovereignty, support trade, generate exports, and unleash the potential of the communities it serves. We are very happy to have uh, this discussion today about NORAD modernization, a uh, very important announcement that came out this past summer. Uh, we're very delighted to have our fellow Andrew Sharon uh, lead this discussion, but you couldn't actually make it here from Manitoba uh, to do so in person. Uh, so we're going to give this a whirl. Uh, and so far, so good. I'm now going to turn it over to you, Andrea. Thank you. Great, thanks. Thanks very much for the invitation. We've had a number of announcements amounting to billions of dollars. Minister Anand announced in June 2022 that 4.9 billion on a cash basis would be available for the first six years, and then 38.6 billion would be available over 20 years on an accrual basis. Specific investments include, among other initiatives, new radar stations, command and control upgrades, additional air-to-air -air refueling aircrafts, advanced air-to-air -air missiles for fighter jets, upgrades to the Canadian Armed Forces infrastructure in the north, and of course, additional funding to complete and augment key air and space projects. The funding for continental defense and NORAD modernization is broken down into interrelated areas of investment. And while the US President and Prime Minister of Canada have noted four priorities when it comes to NORAD modernization, uh, the Canadian government has actually listed five for the accrual based funding. So I'm quite interested in how the, the two overlap. So from the five based on the accrual uh, based funding, it's about bolstering Canada's ability to detect threats, uh, improve Canada's ability to understand and communicate those threats. Three is strengthening Canada's ability to deter and defeat aerospace threats. Four is ensuring that the Canadian Armed Forces can sustain a strong military presence across the country. And then five is about future-proofing Canadian capabilities to defend the North. Of course, the big elephants in the room are the contributions, if any, by the Americans. Can the Canadians spend this money in a timely and effective fashion? 
This is going to require AI, IT upgrades, new platforms, new organizational structures, and it will require that continental defense continues to be a prioritized a prioritization above all else at a time when the world is looking more and more unstable. Will continental defense contribute to dual use infrastructure and reconciliation? Will we complete the necessary environmental impacts? Do we have the personnel to make this all happen? And of course, will all of this spending prepare us for future threats? To help us unpack these announcements and to highlight some of the important achievements to date, we have four experts. We have Brigadier General Chris McKenna, who is the Director General Air and Space Force Development. We have Ms. Crosby, who is the ADM Finance and the Chief Financial Officer of D&D. We have Brigadier General Patrice Sabourin, and he is the Director General of Information Capabilities and Force Development, and Mr. Martin Tomkin from D&D, who is the ADM Infrastructure and Environment. So we're well-placed to try and answer all these questions. So my, my first question, and sorry, all I see is me, which nobody, nobody should have to have to see that. So I apologize. Uh, uh, my first question is actually for the three gentlemen based on their, um, their backgrounds. And so I would like each one, beginning with Brigadier General McKenna, um, help us unpack and understand this June 2022 announcement um, especially as it relates to your area of expertise, because there was a lot of confusion when the announcement was made about exactly what was going to happen now, what would happen in the future. So especially focusing on some of the IT and infrastructure announcements and air and space capabilities, can you unpack this announcement for us? And we'll start with uh, Brigadier General McKenna and then go to Sabarin and then to Mr. Tompkin. It's to me first. Thanks very much. And thanks for placing my two former bosses directly in front of me. It's not intimidating at all. Um, so I think the five categories uh, that Dr. Charon uh, uh, described, it's the same five categories I'm tracking. So that's there's uh, there's win number one for today. Um, and I can run through a list if you want, and then uh, we can sort of dive into the specific capabilities that might be useful. Because I do think the way it was described in the news announcement was sort of an aggregation of capability that talks specifically about um, the effects that were going to be delivered, but I'll, I'll just very quickly run through the list. So my equities to this, maybe I'll start with that air and space force development that is non-fighter related. So I don't have any of the fighter, fighter weapons, fighter ranges uh, points uh, to, to, to bring today, but all my portfolio is everything else that is to say um, any of the uh, air capabilities that are being considered, any of the space capabilities being invested in, any of the digital or, or uh, IMIT connectivity with my colleague uh, next to me. Um, on the NORAD under surveillance, so we have really, yeah, I would say three um, sides to discuss. So it's an Arctic over the horizon radar and a polar over the horizon radar capability, uh, surveillance from space capability, and then an array of sensors uh, that are meant to be put into the Arctic. Um, on the technology enabled C2 piece, it really links to the modernized NORAD command and control work that's already ongoing, uh, known as NORAD Pathfinder or in some circles, cloud-based command and control. And that's been underway for quite some time in direct collaboration with our American colleagues. A future chaos capability, um, so a command and control node uh, with some resiliency embedded within it. 
for Canada and for us to plug into our U.S. colleagues. The enhanced uh, surveillance, or excuse me, uh, secure communications polar, that is to say a radar, a polar SATCOM capability that is meant to be focused on the 65 to 90 uh, problem set for narrowband, wideband, protected mill. Um, uh, we have a, a project in there that is linked to the aerospace weapons control expansion, that is to say radios, air ground air radios, uh, as well as um, 16 grand entry points that are that are meant to be pushing further to the north. From an air weapons or defeat point of view, there's a good use of the term deterrence there. Um, the advanced short range missile, the medium range advanced um, uh, missile, and the long ranged air to air missile. So we can delve into those if you want, but again, not my area of expertise. The support capability, so additional air, aircraft linked to the um, stick project or the strategic tanker transport capability, Defense of Canada fighter infrastructure, that is to say the RCF uh, fights from its wings and its forward operating locations. And that is an invest, significant investment infrastructure that my colleague, uh, Dr. Tompkin can talk about in more detail. And the operational training infrastructure enterprise modernization, which is all focused on our air to ground ranges and the, and the training areas in which we would operate our aircraft. Uh, so I think, and then obviously the fifth one is this, uh, the S&T piece. And I don't believe we have an S&T colleague on the panel here, but certainly all of us interconnect into it. So that would be the, the top view list. And I anticipate a flurry of questions to follow to me and my colleagues. Back to you, Andrew. Okay, thanks. And we, we will be asking you some more pointed questions about when and where these capabilities will actually come online. So prepare for that. Uh, Brigadier General Sabarin, what's your list? Uh, certainly a pleasure to be here this afternoon. And the, unlike uh, Chris uh, or, or Tom, the, the IMIT list of projects is quite small. Uh, but but the it's but it's because a lot of the work uh, that's foundational to the success of Noran Mod is actually already on the way. So specifically, there are two new projects that are funded. Uh, number one is the call it HFLF. So it's really about uh, rebuilding the HF and and uh, LF infrastructure in Canada, including the Arctic support to our subs. It's really about. Uh, it's not super sexy as a project. Uh, if I sorry, if I can sorry for the, the pun here, but the the reality is the what the pandemic has demonstrated. The war in Europe. The we need to build some resilience domestically, and and the once the uh, HF network has been rebuilt, there will be a domestic capability that's completely within our our own hands so we don't rely on industry we don't rely on on uh, allies to make to support so that will be a domestic network there of last resort somebody would could say uh, compared to other uh, eye technology but certainly something that will ensure the quite uh, quite strong resilience in canada the second one it's called uh, modernized command control information system mc2is and the uh, really it's about the data. So let me track back if I if I may. Uh, we have a, a couple of foundational projects that were previously endorsed by Strong Secure Engage that are in various stages of development. The first one it's called ITI in support C2, so info, information technology infrastructure in support of command C2. You, you can call it secret cloud if you want. Uh, but that's really setting the, the, the foundation in Canada to be able to, to, to tran transition our network that are very that are very siloed, that don't talk to each other, 
uh, and adopt a data-centric uh, uh, landscape. Uh, Chris has mentioned uh, Project Pathfinder. Uh, certainly the US through this initiative has demonstrated two things. First of all, the, there's, a, we, there's a lot of data that's available and, and because we're not leveraging the modern analytical tools, there's a lot of data that are that's that's not looked at, uh, and certainly the the cloud brings that uh, that possibility. The second aspect is the the necessity to do to apply, to adopt a, a DevSecOps models. So the the waterfall application development that we're using right now is not conducive to modern oper operations. So. Implementing a secret cloud environment to support or or to be able to host the the significant amount of data that we expect that we'll be collecting with all the new sensors and and radars that will be significant. That project is already on the way. It's no new funding, but it's but it's foundational to the modernization of NORAD. The second one it's ICAM, so identity management, credential management. Um, and access management, all about, again, creating a, a, a landscape where you can share data by default and protect it by exception, by making sure that every uh, device or, or, or person has a unique identity and we can properly uh, manage the access control via identity. Versus today, we are basically uh, if you need to create an enclave of only a few people that need to know, we create a, a bespoke network for it. And, and then when we need to share that information, we may, it makes it quite difficult. So the, the key success to the future is really a data-centric environment where you can share data uh, at, at the speeds of relevance. That being said, MC2IS is about taking all that data and, and be able to extract the true value that will make neuron modernization uh, the, a real success. Um, MC2IS is about the advanced analytics. It's about leveraging AI machine learning to be able so that the, the, the people working in the new KOC uh, will, will have the, the, the right information at the right time so they can actually make those decisions. And that will ensure that we remain relevant and and uh, and formidable adversaries. Um, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you there for just a second. Yeah, I know okay. this big looming. <laughs> I have power. <laughs> um, so we've we've heard about uh, lots of capabilities in Kit, and you've talked a lot about data management and um, accessing and protecting it and getting it to the right people. Uh, we're gonna turn to Mr. Tompkin because you have the infrastructure piece, all of this data and kit presumably is going to be launched from require infrastructure and especially in the Arctic. Unpack for us your piece of the puzzle. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, first, I just want to clear up, I'm not the Assistant Deputy Minister of uh, Infrastructure and Environment. Actually, I'm a senior advisor to the Assistant Deputy Minister of Infrastructure on NORAD modernization. Um, the announcement that was made in June and subsequently another, the other announcement in August from, uh, from Bruce Bay uh, really has increased tremendously uh, the work for, for infrastructure. Um, you need to understand, and I have to give a bit of a backdrop of, of the infrastructure within D&D. 
We're dealing with 21 bases. Uh, we, we occupy 2.1 million hectares of land. We occupy 10, 10 million square meters of, of, of uh, footprint for space. We're dealing with 5,500 kilometers of road, 3,000 kilometers of, uh, of uh, sewer, water, storm uh, systems. 25% um, of our assets, our infrastructure assets are over 50 years old. Uh, and we have basically an annual budget and infrastructure about $2 billion dealing uh, with assets of, and the assets are valued about 20, 26 to $28 billion of uh, real property uh, replacement costs. So that is significant. And uh, the announcement that was made um, is going to really increase uh, the effort, our investments in the area of infrastructure um, in the following areas. So. Um, in uh, new fighter uh, infrastructure facility, there'll be investments in there. There'll be investments to upgrades the four FOLs, the four operating locations in the north. Uh, the investments have, uh, and it's already been announced in the air-to-air -air refueling uh, uh, capacity. So ensuring that we have the facilities to support those, uh, uh, the heavier aircraft or the, the strategic uh, uh, transport um, uh, capability that's coming online. Um, and also air operational training. So the air operational training uh, within uh, the, the, the main uh, air bases, uh, primarily Cold Lake, uh, Bagotville, we're dealing uh, with the, the ranges and they, they will need to be updated significant investments there. So those are the, the big areas. Uh, right now, we have a current Northern program and I would say our Northern program is probably around $1.7 billion in what we're spending. So. In the north, we have 800 buildings at located at 60 different sites. So that's still very significant uh, when you look at it being a subset of the 21,000 across Canada. Um, so we're focusing on the north. Uh, we, we have to deal with 800. We and on a on a daily basis, we are we are maintaining. We have a, we're doing you know the, the the best that we possibly can to maintain all those all those uh, assets in the north. Uh, but clearly. Uh, with the, the requirements now for NORAD modernization, that is going to increase exponentially. Later on, what I like to uh, what I like to do, and I don't know if if the if, uh, if Andrea will will uh, pose a question later on, but I would like to actually give you a detailed breakdown of here's some of the things that we're actually going to require, so that you can take that and you can mull it over, think about it, uh, because there are some specific things that we're going to 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 need over in the coming years. I can't give you the exact numbers because in many cases I don't know, and I can't give you exact locations where these. Uh, uh, where this kit is going to be, but I can tell you what is it that we're going to require. What are those needs out there, those infrastructure needs? And there are things that you can actually get your arms around and, and, and you can work with them. So I'll be more than happy uh, in, in, the, in the coming minutes to, to, uh, to uh, amplify on that. Thanks very much. Uh, and now I'll turn to Ms. Crosby. So many of the um, announcements uh, are related to sort of this 20 year time horizon, but I was hoping you could unpack for us the cash that we'll have for the next six years. It's nearly $4.9 billion. Uh, that seems like a lot of money in, in, in a relatively short time frame in Canadian terms. So can you unpack for us um, how that's going to be spent? Sure, and hello everybody. Um, happy to be here. My first time here at the conference actually, first time on stage. Um, and uh, 
probably, I mean, I think it's a good idea to keep the account, the accountants <laughs> in the back office, but that said, I mean, we do have a reputation of solving problems that uh, you didn't know you had in ways that you probably don't understand, i.e. accrual accounting. But anyways, um, the truth is, it's very reflective of the fact that I work very closely with my colleagues, with Troy, with Simon, uh, and others, uh, not just paying off the bills, but right at the beginning when a capability is thought of through to when it's uh, identified and options are analyzed through to costing it and procurement strategies and so forth. So again, really a pleasure to be here to talk uh, to you as the other, we call ourselves Crosby Squared. Uh, we do work in fact, very hand in glove uh, together back, uh, back at the ranch. So, um, so, uh, NORAD modernization, as you know, was a tremendous announcement that builds on uh, strong, secure, and engaged. So going back five years or so, there was a significant investment made, about $50 billion in cash. And I'm only going to talk about cash today. Yeah, getting a positive sign from, from my colleague. Um, so this builds on on that, and in fact, uh, what was announced was eighty, just north of eighty-seven billion dollars over a twenty-year period in cash. Sounds confusing because I said I wouldn't mention accrual. This will be my only time. The accrual, which is the way the Department of Finance works, they work in accrual. They amortize anything that's capital. So in that sense, the announcement uh, came out as something like thirty-eight billion, but the Truth of the matter is, from a cash perspective, it's 87 billion over the next 20 years. And Andrea is right. From a cash perspective, that's almost 5 billion in the next six years. It is significant. Um, I would also say of the 87 billion uh, over 20 years, about just north of 50 billion of that is for infrastructure. So that is one of the costly areas. Of course, it costs more to build in the north. So there's that, but there's also a significant portion of this strategy that is infrastructure related. Uh, and then from there, it breaks down. I'm happy to give you the breakdown of each, uh, both from a 20 year and sort of a next six year um, horizon. Uh, this is on top of what we're already spending each year, anywhere from uh, three to six billion on um, strong, secure, and engaged. So it is significant. I heard Andrea say, "Do we have the capacity to deliver?" It's one of the things I worry about, for sure. Um, and so one of the things we did with this particular uh, um, initiative is we uh, loaded up on trying to increase our capability with people. As you all know, we are short on military members, and that has a spillover into the civilian side. So um, the NORAD modernization uh, funding also included our uh, some funding to build up the internal services side, to build up our project management teams with civilians and so forth, because we need people to get these things delivered. Uh, and so that's a, a critical focus of, of the funding. So. I'll stop there for now. I know that you're going to have a lot of questions, but just to say again, happy to be here. It is a lot of money. We have a lot of work to do and super uh, excited to think that uh, we can open up the kimono a little bit with industry to let you know, uh, you know, more about what, when, and how.
Thanks very much. So I have um, another round of questions for all of you and then happy to take questions from the floor. Um, but I'm going to go back to Brigadier General McKenna and Sabarin. We know that a, a lot of the announcements have been uh, announced in the past and now we have to decide sort of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, so can you unpack for us how these new announcements, which are sort of old versus new um, in your respective areas. And for Brigadier General McKenna specifically, I was interested that you said modernizing C2 is uh, an example of Pathfinder. And, and we've heard Pathfinder come up a couple of times. So Pathfinder is the application of new artificial intelligence and a cloud system that allows something like the North Warning System to the, the analyst to see more of the activity that the North Warning System is picking up, but that old algorithms weren't necessarily piecing together. Um, I'm interested that that is a C2 modernization. Can, can you help me understand that as well? So uh, Brigadier General McKenna, maybe I can get you to go first. Thanks, Dr. Sherrill. Now, I, so I think a, the, an opening narrative is from an Air Force point of view, this is all old to me in the sense that I've been working on this for like a year and a half and we've done a lot of policy proposals to government. So I do feel like this is this is a ground that's well-trod at this point, but I, I understand that industry is, is, is new to some of this. Um, I'll get to the CBC2 piece maybe at the end, but I, I think uh, as we discuss and dialogue with our American colleagues and we do so essentially constantly uh, through the NORAD relationship that my national command and there has been an enormous amount of advocacy on their side of the border and, uh, and an enormous amount of listening on our side of the border in terms of what we need as a, as a cohesive whole for the defense of North America. And that's where these, these investments are aimed at. It's that um, inseparability, if that's a word, of the continent in the sense that we have to de uh, defend it as a cohesive whole. And so I would say that the pacing project for me that seems to be drawing all my attention right now is the Arctic Over the Horizon radar system because our American colleagues uh, received money in the NDAA recently to get after their site surveys. And there is a uh, probably not so different from the 1960s when Canada and the US were trying to determine where their radar sites were go. Uh, there was a lot of discussion right now between our American colleagues and us in terms of the sharing of who is gonna look where into an aggregated picture for North America. So Arctic over the horizon radar uh, usually steals about a third of my day, most days these days. Um, I would also maybe talk about what's old in the sense that we have the strategic tanker transport capability that is an in, an in process and very mature project in definition. Um, Canada has down selected to the KC-30 of the E-33200 tanker. And that has enormous implications for us in the sense that it has infrastructure implications, which are not insignificant. It's an aircraft that is something like 51% wider and 49% heavier than the current fleet of A310s we operate. Uh, so we currently have five A310s, two of which are tankers. Uh, and so we are going to, you know, we're going to be going after a capability or up until NORAD MOG was, was uh, announced, we were going after a capability of, uh, of X number of aircraft, five to six is the public, the public number. Um, and it's all anchored against lines of task, three lines of task. And so this additional investment uh, raises the liability for the Air Force to, to, to offer five lines of task. So two additional lines of task. And that is linked directly to the responsiveness we have to have from the NORAD point of view to make sure that we can get um, deterrence and defeat mechanisms at credible ranges uh, to, to, to actually have a deterrent effect to our adversaries. 
and that the persistence of those things forward at the 10 and two o'clock or 12 o'clock in North America, the persistence is anchored against that tanker capability. And it's something we've had in a very modest number over the mass number of years, and we are going to have in much larger numbers in, in years to come here that will allow us to be persistent in the Arctic. And I think that's a really important one. And the, and the last one, I'll just be commenting your CBC2 piece, which is um, it is an area of direct collaboration between NORAD in NORAD between Canada and the US in terms of the, of the Pathfinder CBC2 work. Um, but it is also linked in, directly into the JADC2 work and the EBMS work that is ongoing in the United States. We have a Air Force officers embedded directly in the cross-functional team in the U.S., uh, and we are working to align our command and control infrastructure architectures uh, to be directly interoperable with with uh, with our closest ally. Uh, I think I'll stop there, Andrea, unless you want to ask a follow-up. No, that's great. Thank you. And Brigadier General Sabare, what uh, unpack for us what's new, what's old, and what's the the pacing? Uh, as McKenna has said, what's the, the the pacing issue for you? So, so as I said, the I'm the the new the net new is is relatively small uh, because we had we because we sort of understood what needed to be in place to, to modernize the uh, I'll use the uh, C two uh, a very very loosely term that I'll use uh, we knew what needed to be done we we mo, mo, most of the work uh, aligning ourselves with uh, the lessons from uh, Pathfinder. Is work that's already funded already on the way, and the new work is is to actually further enhance what uh, what the infrastructure will allow. And so one one aspect that the I think it's important to understand is again I'll use C two very loosely, but when you think about the there's from my perspective there's three aspects to C two. The the first is about situational awareness. You need to understand the battle space. And Pathfinder has illuminated what advanced analytics can do to enhance your, your situational awareness. But once you have this enhanced situational awareness, you need to be able to sort of extract the so what of that to present it to a decision maker for them to actually make a relevant decision, which is the, the third sort of aspect is about the, the execution of the, the once you make the decision, the you direct the fighters, you you, you launch, uh, you, you do something, a defense, uh, offense. So those three legs are important, and MC2IS, the new announcement, will 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 provide provide the advanced analytics to make sure that the first two at least are are, are well developed, so that the uh, the in the in the future the the future commander of NORAD will have the will be better equipped to be. Uh, more informed decisions. Great, thank you. And Mr. Tompkin, I think you deserve um, a, a promotion given that you have such a tremendous infrastructure struggle ahead of you and, and $2 billion is really not a lot of money. So um, how do we prioritize this? For you, especially in the Arctic, what's your list? So I would say clearly our, our big priority right now, uh, well, among the, the and I think it was said earlier in a previous panel uh, about like everything's being a everything's a priority. Uh, I would say northern basing, upgrading the uh, the four uh, uh, forward operating locations for us is a big priority. We've talked about this for for a number of years. Now we're getting an injection of, of funding, and so we need to focus on on uh, upgrading those the forward operating locations. Now there's also a number of other priorities that we have over the horizon radar. 
You've heard talk about that. Uh, it was discussed, uh, I believe it was presented yesterday at the, at the Senate, uh, Senate committee. Uh, uh, reference was made. That is something too that is a key priority. It's a key priority for Canada, but also for the United States. And the United States is also pushing us as well to move along. Um, but of course, with that goes, well, the whole scoping of these projects, of all these initiatives is very key for us. And it's something that, uh, that does take time. And uh, with the documents, with the, the very basic, fundamentally, the statement of requirement for document for us is absolutely fundamental to know to what extent does, is infrastructure involved in, uh, in, uh, in acquiring uh, these various systems, various capabilities. So I would say over the horizon uh, radar, big priority for us, uh, clearly DCFI, which is Defense of Canada, fighter infrastructure supporting the, uh, the future fighter uh, program at the bases, uh, ensuring that they have the infrastructure. So when these aircraft are delivered, uh, you have a sufficient infrastructure there. STTC, strategic tanker aircraft for us is a big priority to make sure that, and as was mentioned earlier, that uh, you have the facilities there. And in fact, you have the runways that are capable of receiving these aircraft because these are heavy aircraft, larger. So that means the, the mill rate on the, the runway uh, pavement, uh, the extension of runways, um, uh, taxiways, aprons, uh, are very key. So those are also priorities that we have. So I would say, you know, you've got about four really top priorities among the list of projects of initiatives that were identified. They're the ones that that we have to we have to work on uh, almost uh, concurrently. You know, so which also begs the question of capacity that that Sherry had mentioned earlier. Her big concern about that capacity. Uh, and we could talk about that uh, later on, um, but I would say from an infrastructure, that's the, and then of course you have the every other day, ongoing, modern, uh, just keeping up, keeping the lights on of our 21,000 buildings across all the bases, uh, across all 21. So it's, um, uh, it's a daunting task, but uh, I would say those are how I would unpack the priorities for us. Thanks very much. Thank Ms. Crosby, we are uh, many of these projects are, are sort of projected over 20 years. Um, NORAD and continental defense has always struggled to be the priority. Um, I worry we're going to have a NORAD moment. And given what's facing us, everybody's going to forget about this. Um, on top of that, we are facing a lot of economic pressures. And it's natural to sort of steal from monies put aside for 20 years later to uh, fund priorities today. How do you approach this? I mean, I know you don't set policy you, you you carry it out but how do we make sure that NORAD modernization and continental defense remains a priority and how do we protect this monies from other priorities yeah that is a great question I thought you were going to ask me what's new and old on the money side we can do that later um but that's a good question and obviously we've got a very very charged agenda we've got um a huge ambitious SSE agenda to fulfill um, and, and in fact, that funding will peak so far forecasted to peak around 27, 28. And we have a long ways to go to get there. Um, just as SSE is peaking in terms of expenditures, and I'm just telling you the financial story right now, NORAD MARD will start to pick up. And after 27, 28 and onwards, we'll grow by about a billion a year, but SSE will wind down. So maybe the good news in terms of prioritizing is the big push on SSE is now, 
NORAD mod, it's not that it's not a big push, but it's a lot of laying the groundwork, figuring out the design, figuring out the requirements, figuring out the procurement strategy, except for some things we've done before, like buying tankers and so on. But a lot of the work is building and preparing in NORAD mod. And as we're doing that, we're peaking on SSE. So the priority will remain on, on strong, secure and engaged as we begin to move into implementation and acquiring jets and ships and so forth. As SSE peaks, it will then start to obviously decline and NORAD mod picks up. I mean, time horizons are not identical. So, um, so that's one way that we will prioritize. Uh, but it's going to be challenging because that's not the only things we're doing. <laughs> we're doing a procurement related to Ukraine and whatever else that comes along. So it is a it is a challenge to uh, to make sure that we are uh, that we have the capacity to deliver. But from a financial point of view, um, we aren't yet at the stage of managing NORAD mod and SSC as one big bucket of money. We are keeping them separate, but as time goes on, it's all primarily capital investment. And I predict a time where we will eventually just treat NORAD mod as yet another bundle of important capital investments, primarily that we need to do. Um, and we will do it as a holistic uh, sort of enterprise-wide uh, exercise. And then, of course, we have current existing governance around how we implement projects. So we have very um, robust, I would say, governance. I participated in it myself, uh, where we look at uh, all the capital investment, all the major crown projects, any projects that are worth a lot of money. We look at that uh, all along the way, always ev evaluating the scope, the cost, the, the schedule issues and risk managing. And so uh, we will have to get better, I would say, at looking at a broader bundle of important initiatives as they move forward. We've just opened the aperture a bit. So we had SSE kind of bundle and now we've got more, but I think we have good processes in place to do that. I think we have good, strong governance. We are using tools to help us. And from a financial point of view, touch my mic, from a financial point of view, at some point we'll, we'll integrate it and all come together and we will, uh, be tracking it and reporting out through our investment plan. Um, and I'll finish there. We have a, a three-year window where we update our investment plan. As you know, we've just completed it prior to the NORAD mod funding decision. So uh, we will at some point within the next three-year window, obviously integrate the investments to be made in NORAD. And that will include a prioritization process that will keep our feet to the fire in terms of managing this. So I think I'll stop there. Great, thanks. Um, I'm going to pose a, a question and anybody's welcome to answer it. But of course, NORAD modernization and continental defense doesn't happen without partners, especially the United States. We've, we've heard very little uh, from the United States in terms of, of monies that are being contributed. So if you could uh, tell us what's happening on that front, um, but also with industry partners and rights holders. We often talk about NORAD modernization as if it's kit and stuff and new ways of doing business, but none of this is going to happen without industry and rights holders, especially in the Arctic. So how are we ensuring that we are having those uh, partnerships and especially with Indigenous peoples in the Arctic, 
forming those relationships so that we the infrastructure priorities the 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 cyber um, capabilities things like the high frequency radios will there be a dual use capability there for our arctic communities to take advantage of so i pose that big theme of partners uh industry us and rights holders and anybody's welcome to weigh in yeah well, maybe just from a financial part and then turn it over to the more important part, I think to you guys, from a financial part, the 87 billion that was announced is discrete funding. It's meant to uh, sort of stand alone to support all the initiatives articulated in the uh, in, in NORAD modernization, unlike the way we've done um, the North Warning System in the past, where we might have shared with our US counterparts, this funding that was announced is not in there is not a shared kind of initiative. That said, we of course work very closely with our US colleagues and continue to work together uh, in an integrated fashion to determine requirements today and tomorrow. And um, so what the future holds, I don't know from a funding arrangement, but just to be clear, the 87 uh, billion is not uh, um, tied in a financial way to any contributions, but we're doing our part in a broader plan to defend North America. I can maybe pick up from there, ma'am, and, 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 and talk about the requirement side. Um, so I think historically, the relationship between the USAF and the RCAF from a, from a service to service point of view had atrophied a little bit in the sense that we have this amazing binational command in NORAD, and we did a lot of coordination directly through that uh, combatant command uh, as it links back to Canada. But there is now a need, uh, a deeper need, to have more collaboration with the United States Air Force, specific to some of the, uh, the the systems that we are looking to operationalize. And so to that end, we've obviously uh, reached out and done a lot of uh, discussion with them to deepen that partnership and have more regular discussions at the requirements level to make sure that we are synchronized. And to Ms. Crosby's point, the intent is to invest in an architecture for the defense of North America in which Canada is a full partner. And then we are investing in capabilities that are perfectly complementary and interoperable with our US allies. The only way to do that is to really collaborate at the requirement stage as you get into the um, uh, identification options analysis stage of the of the projects to ensure that you're not going to diverge and find yourselves unable to connect. So that that is work that is live. It is ongoing now. I, I find myself in DC quite a bit to have those discussions. And certainly uh, we're going to uh, deepen and formalize that, I think, going forward. Um, you know, historically, if you just think about the fighter aircraft we've owned in the past, we've had really close relationships with the U.S. Navy and with the Marine Corps as a result of the choice of the Hornet over the past years. And it's funny to think about the atrophy of that U.S. Air Force relationship, which has always been quite strong, but was not anchored against shared requirements in the same way that it has to be going forward. Andrew, if I, if I may, just the, from my, again, from my perspective, I think that's what's really important is the partnership with industry. I, I think the um, going forward the current approach of moving capital project in id oa you know big bang approach investments this is not going to work for mc mc2is there's a there are things that we know that will be critical to improve the the command control that that don't exist yet or or the data does does not exist yet or the or, the, or the, the thought around what AI and ML could do does not exist that. So, so if we had tried to write it as a requirement on a piece of paper, we'll probably get it wrong. So I think that we, what we need to do is partner with industry and, and, do, and try to find a different way to access the money so that we can actually implement, I, I call them minimal viable product. We can, 
it's probably not a good a good term but the but invest a bit of money get a product get the capability get at the problem learn from that get at the second series of of challenges and and progressively build a capability that's that's maintained over time through to sustainable and predictable investment instead of the the big bang approach i think the in the, especially in the case of technology such as uh, AI, advanced analytics, the, this is the only way that we'll be able to, to maintain our relevance, uh, relevancies to be able to, to access that technology as quickly as we can as, in, as industries developed it. So I would just add, and similar to what the uh, General Sabore has, has said, our relationship from an infrastructure standpoint is very much related to, to you to industry. Um, we have we have a relationship, a more formal relationship through the the uh, the NATO, uh, the sorry, the NATO, the the NORAD uh, governance st uh, structure in place. But as far as infrastructure, really, it's we need to know what is it that you you're, you're capable. Of, what can you offer? What are some of the technologies, the current technology and, and emerging technologies that will help us address those needs uh, in the north? Uh, we have had uh, presentations, uh, unsolicited presentations uh, from industry that have come and said, listen, we have a technology uh, in uh, nuclear microgrid power supply in, in the north. And uh, we organize uh, a session, a general information session ourselves with uh, science and technology, uh, also with, uh, with the requirement side, and, uh, and we listen to the presentation and uh, to see what is that technology uh, that either currently exists and is being used elsewhere, or else that uh, a new technology that's being developed and is being tested and that we could perhaps, uh, we could adopt uh, in the North uh, the, with our infrastructure. So um, so I would really say it's from a, from an industry standpoint, the relationship that, uh, that, uh, that we look forward to developing further with you. This episode of Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by Irving Shipbuilding. Canada's national shipbuilder is currently hiring. For more information on the many jobs and opportunities currently available, please visit www.shipsforcanada.ca slash careers. Thank you. Um, I know there are lots of questions out there. Uh, David Perry is going to help uh, field them for me because I uh, can't actually see the audience. Uh, so if you're interested in asking a question, I understand there are microphones there. Um, and we also have some questions online. So uh, David, do we have a question? We do. Uh, we can go to the mic and then I got two that were sent to me direct. Thank you. Uh, CGAI fellow uh, and with CFN consultants. So to me, NORAD modernization is all about digitalization. The core of it is connecting new and existing sensors and harnessing that data uh, and using it for strategic advantage. So at the core of this, it's managing all of this data, which D&D and CAF had have a problematic history with to say the least. But my concern is more on the defense component of this, that despite what uh, Associate DM said this morning, when you're dealing with digitalization, you're dealing with new networks and systems that need protection. So my question, I suppose it's two parts. One is what assurances is D&D uh, &D and CAF giving uh, US military that uh, CAF networks won't be used for lateral movements by APTs into 
US networks? And to what degree is Pathfinder being used as a stepping stone as part of broader JADC2 integration? So largely a question for General Severin, but uh, General McKenna, happy to hear your views as well. Want to go first? No, go first. So the uh, the the first part. Uh, so I I didn't speak about the uh, the current efforts and investment that, that using internal funding that we are we're making to to make sure that uh, certainly every piece of new technology is as resiliency built in uh, built in that that's sort of the cyber mission assurance program that we have that's uh, developed. Uh, ADM Math is a, is one of the key partner in that. So the equipment that we're buying is is resilient uh, from the get go. The going to the cloud uh, and uh, and leveraging again the in, industry's expertise versus us building our own network and and then trying to defend it is is going in the right direction. Uh, implementing ICAM, so we have a strong identity management uh, uh, again to to protect the, the, the data instead of trying to protect the network, uh, which is again, uh, zero trust uh, is, is certainly the, a better way that will improve our overall security. And, and I think the, the, we are following suit in, in terms of what the allies are doing, the US in particular, in terms of the, their implementation of security controls for their cloud environment. So that when we actually procured uh, our own, that we will be able to connect and be interoperable from the start with, with the US and other partners. In terms of Pathfinder, uh, we are certainly uh, uh, watching and learning from what they're doing. It, it's, it's transitioning into uh, uh, an official program uh, that Canada is part of. Uh, uh, which will eventually replace BCSF, which is the the current the current sort of C two uh, system that we are that we're using to for NORAD. Uh, so we are going to by by being a partner currently with with the with the US, we are going to inherit the benefit of uh, of uh, of Pathfinder. Uh, what we're but what also required is the is the, we the Canada? We certainly have our own sensors that we would want to also integrate uh, with, with the over the horizon radars. Is just one example of sort of a new sensors that that we will want to to ingest uh, in our own system. So, so as we are getting that that the system baked in sort of from uh, from a Can US perspective, uh, we'll also develop our own infrastructure to be able to do the same. So again, we as we we work in the binational uh, framework, but having some some national capabilities and some resiliency is also quite important. Yeah. Spin off of that, uh, so I think the battle command station fix for BCSF as the starting point. I mean, there are there's already an area where we deeply collaborate with the Americans on BCSF. We have a joint sort of funding scheme on BCSF where each of us contributes. Uh, and as it evolves from the system of record from which we control aircraft to the next thing, and the next thing is cloud-based command controller, CBC2. Pathfinder was the incipient project that gave us a lot of readback in terms of leveraging data and AI to make sense and make best use of extent legacy sensors. This is meant to be the next step uh, where both Canada and the US take that step together 
with our already interlinked networks forward into uh, a cloud-based cloud system. I do think from a digital point of view, you make a great point. Like every single thing I've described has a connect, share, and learn aspect to it. And you, and, and you would be naive to think that you, would be, you can per, procure in silos now and just think you're going to operate your system on your own. And so I think the first question is, can it interoperate with the United States? And the second question is, can it interoperate with NATO? And recognizing that NORAD really is the Western flank of NATO, especially in uh, an arena where weapon systems can cross the pole and, and North America as a homeland is, is at risk. And so to, to understand that there is an absolute imperative, and it's not five years from now, it's yesterday, it's three, five years ago, an imperative to be digitally inter interconnected. And, you know, weirdly, there's a lot of great programs of record moving forward that'll, that'll bring us the Joint Defense Cloud program being one for the enterprise across of defense uh, move to cloud. Uh, but there's also a whole bunch of, I would call it a bit of a digital insurgency going on in the Air Force, where we have teams that are identifying problems and we are using uh, small minor cap projects to get apps for some app development. And it's, it's amazing how sad um, uh, a young person gets when you give them a big pile of paper right now. Um, there, there's a retention imperative against the digitalization uh, portion. Like it just makes them sad. And I, and, I, and I don't blame them, to be honest. If you, outside of work, you have a phone and, and when you get to work, you have to put it in a box and then work in the 1950s. It's, it makes me sad. <laughs> so, so, so there is a fair bit of work uh, in, the, in the low end of doing a lot of learning inside the Air Force in terms of, hey, can we solve this problem with an app? And we've partnered certainly with our, with our friends in EDMIM and the Joint Defense Cloud side to spiral out that, to solve problems at the tactical level. So I know the Army's released a really uh, a, a, quite an impressive digital strategy. Um, we sort of took it the other way. We're going to start at the basics of like, hey, let's get Wi-Fi in all of our hangars. Like at the very basics that a, that a technician turning a wrench on an airplane could up, update the system of record of the maintenance he or she just performed and then move on to the next task as tasked by the supervisor as opposed to on their phone, as opposed to uh, having to walk back and make paper entries. It's actually the basics that matter a lot more to our folks from a retention point of view. And I think you make a great, a great point. There is the higher level architecture into which all this must plug. There's also the start. And to, to start, you got to start simple. And anyways, we're, it's a long, passionate answer, I'm sorry. Great, thanks very much. If, if there are no other comments on that, I have a question online from Nick, and I'm also going to piggyback on to Nick's question. So Nick is asking about how science and technology uh, research and development funding is going to contribute to the NORAD modernization projects. Um, he also asks a question about um, the joint all domain command and control, which is ultimately the goal of the US military. But how do NORAD modernization help Canada achieve pan-domain awareness, being as NORAD has 1.5 domains under its remit? Um, and, and how are we going to knit this all together? Because Canada certainly has awareness um, uh, goals, um, and then we have to fit them into and contribute to the wider U.S. goals. Well, I can't speak to the SNT piece precisely, but certainly from, again, sending the digital foundation that we... Uh, whether we'll do it for NORAD or Pandomain C2, I, 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 see the, I see the path to be uh, parallel at worst or, or the same at best. I think that all the work that we're doing, uh, uh, setting up uh, uh, NORAD for the future 
is is going to set ourselves up for pan domain C2. Uh, it just it, it only me, means bring different sorts of sensor data. Uh, it it just means uh, providing sort of different display of the of that different data. But ultimately, but fundamentally, the 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 problem that we're trying to solve about data uh, about extracting the value of data is the same. And, and, the, and the work that's being done that's funded as part of the run one will, will get us very close to that uh, that goal. I, I might be able to pivot off of that, David, if you'd like. So um, the S&T piece, I think I'll give you a tangible example, which is like maybe the, the point. Um, over the horizon radar Arctic is anchored against a Southern Canadian domestic uh, send and receive station looking into Canada's Arctic and the approaches to Canada. Um, but there is a, um, scientific um, effect in the sense that there is an auroral oval over the north of Canada, like a big donut in which uh, I, uh, energy does not penetrate, radar energy does not penetrate. So there's a, there's a wicked problem that has existed for many years for the scientists that work on the uh, high frequency radio propagation issues. And that that is sort of an impenetrable wall. Um, and it really implies taking an over the horizon radar capability and placing it in the middle of the donut that sits over Arctic landmass. Uh, and have a send receive site there that would allow you to push further out. And that is to look at uh, pretty much, you, you can imagine all aspects of approaches to North America. Um, from, an, from, a, from a warning point of view, from a surveillance point of view, uh, it is absolutely crucial. And that problem is being directly worked by our SMT colleagues in DRDC. Uh, and they've had uh, many years of work on this, including an experimental uh, array that is, that is already in place that they're, they're working with. And so that is meant to be mature after the Arctic uh, capability is in place, uh, but there is a directly uh, linked and tangible uh, contribution that our that our scientific science and tech partners are are getting after. And I'll just my, my small addendum to to uh, my colleague's comment is really linked to the, moving into a cloud-based command and control environment will allow us to interconnect with uh, with the Americans, NATO partners, even non-traditional partners, uh, much easier in the sense that. You know, the US JADC2 uh, talk a lot about mission partner environment and the, the ability to connect in as, an ally, as a partner of choice. And so making sure that our architectures we design are connectable to that, to allow us to bring us into these sort of adaptive coalitions. I mean, obviously in priority, Canada, US and Canada, NATO, um, but you could find yourself uh, in, uh, in, a, in a part of the world needing to have a partner and the, and the cloud-based kind of control that allow you to sort of array that partnership very easily and then collapse it uh, to need if the, the problem set uh, is over. Anyways, that's, that would be my answer. Okay, uh, so I've got a couple of questions that have come to me directly and then we'll go to the folks on the microphone and then back to Andrea as we juggle the whole hybrid thing. Um, so I got a, a bookend of ones for you, Sherry. Uh, first one is, are there any investments uh, related to uh, maritime um, that's come as part of the announcement in the summer? Or is it basically a aerospace space, IMIT, uh, and then on giant hunk infrastructure money? I mean, it, is there, have we um, not talked about some maritime investment that we should have been? That's the one you can start with. Um, and then you can end with, can you talk a little bit about affordability in the current context? So uh, maybe you were able to get the costing done for the stuff in the summer before everything went nuts, uh, but it's now nuts. You got inflation at whatever it is today. I haven't checked my phone for that in like five minutes, so I have no idea. Uh, commodity prices have gone through like insane gyrations just in the last 24 months. Uh, the labor market is tighter than it's been in my lifetime. Um, there's a whole bunch of like macroeconomic factors that have changed all kinds uh, since 
2017. So I guess one, how how's defense dealing with that? You know, fuel costs, I didn't mention that. I could keep going probably for a while here. Lots of different economic inputs are radically different. Um, so how's the department adjusting to that? And the second one is, I mean, are you being asked by central agencies to try and come up with costing certainty over 20 years with all of that nonsense? Um, okay, so hold that thought. And then I have a couple specific ones. Are they here? Um, uh, for Martin, for Martin, do you have a sense of um, how much of that infrastructure investment will uh, have the would be invested in a way that it would uh, implicate the TB policy suite for procurement in the in the uh, territory of uh, none of it? So the, the northern specific provisions as part of that investment, uh, and then a specific one uh, for General McKenna. The USAF was given the uh, cruise missile defeat uh, mission, and there had been some speculation from some folks that it would might go to the Missile Defense Agency. Um, does that have any particular considerations for you? Um, so, Shari, you can share. You can start with the easy one, and then work your way to the giant one. Yeah, when it gets hard, I'll pass it on. Um, yeah. Okay. So, first of all, so NORAD modernization does have an aerospace focus to it. So, I mean, my colleagues can correct me if there's some, maybe there's infrastructure a little bit, but uh, generally it's an aerospace. It's not continental defense writ large. Um, you might recall, though, that in budget 2022, we were asked to do a defense policy review. So that is underway where we will be looking at the much broader uh, theme of continental defense and what's needed in the current and future threat environment, as well as what's needed uh, domestically and internationally. Uh, so that review is underway and uh, I can't really speak to the outcome of it because that hasn't happened. But um, so for NORAD mod, yes, it's it's an aerospace, basically an aerospace focus. Um, so costing, gosh. Um, I mean, just like all of you uh, in defense, we are obviously subject to the economic instability um, uh, immediately, as well as um, looking at our uh, purchasing power going forward. So, I mean, just like everyone else, we are feeling the pinch as fuel prices increase. Uh, and obviously we're big consumers of fuel, even food. I mean, national defense is a community. We feed, we house, we fuel. Um, we are fe feeling the immediate effect of that at the same time, with supply chain issues, we're also having some difficulty procuring some of our most urgent needs. So uh, from a spending trend point of view, on everyday expenditures, we're actually behind in terms of spending. Um, and so one of my concerns is always, how are we getting, we have money in the bank account, are we getting it out the door, even just to purchase the consumables that we purchase every day? So that's purchase every day. That's, that's one thing we're feeling the pinch, just like everybody else. But the other thing I'm observing, of course, no surprise to this room, is that uh, certain uh, manufacturing that is very defense related, so whether it's fabricated metals or electronic components that feature predominantly in shipbuilding and uh, uh, fleets, aero fleets or land vehicles, those components are being impacted obviously by uh, whether indirectly or directly by inflation, by foreign exchange, all of which are extremely difficult to forecast. Um, it's always been difficult to forecast, but now it's more challenging given the, 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 the fluctuations, inflation alone. So what do we do? How do we do costing? Well, we've been, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say we've been refining our costing expertise ever since SSE uh, was announced. So, you know, we've been refining it um, and in some cases, though, I will say we already uh, were quite capable of costing things that we've purchased before. 
So, you know, there's this category of things that we're just buying more of, maybe they're more modern, we can cost that. And even in a, a, a fluctuating environment, we can do it well. Where it gets tricky up until now has been where you're actually developing something, you're designing uh, the ship, or you're designing the search and rescue aircraft that's never been done before or something like that, then it's more tricky. So costing right away is tricky, but as always standard practice, we try to mitigate that with contingencies and various risk management strategies in our costing. But looking forward and in our current environment with, um, with the inflation that we see right now, it definitely um, is causing us to rethink some of our costing. The other thing that happens, as you well know, is as a project begins in a defense capability kind of conversation, moves through identification to option analysis, as we move through this clarity becomes more clear from a costing point of view too. So once you figure out exactly what you're buying and then you figure out the procurement strategy and then actually put RFPs out, we start to have uh, more intel on what things are costing. But with this uh, sort of economic uncertainty going forward, We've had to revisit our contingency strategies. We've had to revisit um, our level of confidence in our costing. That said, it's a partnership with, uh, with industry because you too have had to think through your bids and um, uh, trying to you know, predict just as I am what would be, uh, what, you know, what the future outcome will be. So it's challenging. I wouldn't say we're changing our costing models dramatically. We're just giving some thought to this. What I could say, what I have uh, uh, noticed uh, is e even if I look in the next five years or so, and given the current rates of inflation, we are probably, we've pro we will experience a loss of purchasing power of about 10 billion in the next five years. So clearly it's having an impact. If we're talking about NORAD mod being 87 billion and it, I'm, I'm talking about 10 billion loss in purchasing power. So it has an impact. Um, and finally, are we still being held to the same kind of standard by my central agencies? I think so, yes. <laughs> um, and I think that's, uh, I'm sort of with Simo on this front. I think we have to, uh, in this day and age where we have so many priorities, we have so much to do and we have to get money out the door and we have to deliver, I think we do need to look at ways to um, better risk manage, even risk managing our costing, maybe living in an indicative kind of world a little bit longer, maybe um, focusing on results rather than focusing on how and what to some extent. Um, we've seen that work in Ukraine. When 500 million was announced in Ukraine in the in budget, um, our central agencies didn't say, before I give you that money, tell me exactly what you can do and what it'll cost. No, they gave us that 500 million and said, go do it and tell us what you bought. And so it's the sort of give it to us and trust us to be transparent and we will deliver. And I think that that's a bit of a, 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 a different frame of mind that we need working with our central uh, colleagues. Um, whereby we perhaps risk a little bit on the costing, maybe reduce our requirements in terms of level of confidence and um, expect change because the cost of something is going to change. The, the MDA question, uh, it's probably a short answer to be honest, David. Like it, I, th I think it's finding the mechanism for the collaboration and there's a bunch of extent mechanisms that permanent joint board on defense at the higher level, the defense and steering committee that some of my colleagues, CPROG and CFD here just paid in and the joint staff just paid in. 
Um, so these are certainly super important at the high level, but at the tactical level, like how are we going to collaborate on requirements for systems that are going to interconnect? It is finding the right partner. So I think, I mean, there was a bit of a, a surprise uh, with that decision, but it, it didn't um, upset extant work in the sense that deepening that relationship with the right partner in the US. And I would say, you know, the, the cleavage of, of Space Force under Secretary of Air Force to be a separate entity and a separate service has caused a little bit of uh, a perturbation in the force for lack of a better term, and trying to figure out how best to engage with Space Force and Space Systems Command uh, as an entity, uh, how best to engage with uh, US Air Force and the program executive office that is linked to the capability you're seeking. Those, that, that would really be the paradigm and trying to find that tactical level um, collaborative mechanism that allows us to collaborate on requirements and then look at the procurement strategy is gonna be a sovereign thing, but, but looking at what, how we can collaborate to obviously best effect. Question regarding our, our investments in uh, in Nunavut for uh, specifically. So there are really there are two areas uh, at this point. We are investing in uh, structural repairs of the uh, Nana Civic uh, Naval Facility, which is a deep water berthing and refueling. And so we're 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 investing in that, addressing a number of uh, of issues because of mold of uh, of um, over the years. Um, so uh, significant investments in there in excess of, of twenty million dollars. Um, uh, a direct fallout from the uh, uh, from NORAD modernization uh, will be upgrading the FOL Iqaluit, um, and so there uh, it will be upgrades to the runway, uh, de-icing facilities. Uh, it will be upgrades uh, to the accommodations, uh, to also to aviation fuel, oil and lubricant uh, storage tanks, um, and, and those are just some of the areas uh, that will be that will be addressed uh, through the. Uh, the funding from NORAD modernization. Okay, uh, go to the microphone starting over here, sir. Hi, uh, Scott Clancy, uh, CJI fellow. I'm asking this uh, based upon priority three within the five priorities that are laid out, uh, deter and defeat. And I ask this as the you know ex-director of NORAD operations hat on here. What we've seen in the war in Ukraine is that ground-based localized missile systems have been much better at defeating and ultimately denying adversary objectives being achieved on the ground. However, we have a historic NORAD preoccupation that is facilitated by the Royal Canadian Air Force, the United States Air Forces. Hey, listen, let's put airplanes out there to shoot down cruise missiles, which is the second dumbest thing known to man. So are we not sinking way too much money into a flawed concept with respect to how to actually deter and by deter, you know, we got to propose a defeat mechanism on our adversary, especially in the cruise missile threat in our domains. A anyone? Now, I think it was a money question. <laughs> so, uh, just hold that, hold that thought, and we'll go to the other microphone and take them as a pair. Yep. Um, <laughs> okay, I won't do that. Um, we'll, do, we'll just hold and then take uh, take them as a pair. Yeah, thank you very much. Should be more time, Andrea. To it's uh, it's Brigadier Doug Gibson, the UK's defence advisor. Um, Understandably, at the at present, support to Ukraine um, and associated concerns over the security of Europe is getting a lot of attention. And um, we've heard today about people and processes as real limiting factors. Is NORAD modernization threatened by or complementary to putting Canadian defence procurement on a war footing? Mm -hmm. Okay, and since Richard's come up, Richard, you can go and then we'll take three. Good. Well, we've heard quite a bit about um, uh, improved and, and expanded infrastructure, especially in the north. Uh, a lot of money is going to be spent on it. And clearly, um, 
the uh, defense of North America is pretty uh, hinges on on some of the facilities that we're going to build up there, improved FOLs and uh, uh, an Arctic, um, I think it's called a polar uh, uh, over the horizon radar, amongst other things. Um, as a, a former infantryman, uh, I'm worried. Um, how are we going to physically defend these places? Or are we considering that? Uh, I'm sure from uh, an air defense point of view, from possibly uh, submarines, uh, landed parties, uh, over, overland uh, special forces, that kind of thing. Um, are we going to leave these uh, new infrastructure projects totally undefended? Okay, now you can go. Again, a money, a money question. <laughs> you want me to start? I'll start with Scott's. Uh, okay, so you know way more about this than probably most people in the room. So I, I understand the question in the sense that you were asking about layered defense. You anchored against the defeat mechanism, which is the worst case scenario of having to have uh, a low DB target or a very small radar cross-section target very fast having to be intercepted by something somewhere. Um, I, I, I would flip it on its head and say, if we invest deeply in the surveillance piece uh, and you invest deeply in the make sense piece, you will know far away uh, when these things may or may not be uh, be be holding the homeland at risk. Um, that is not to say that there is not a need for ground-based interception. And I do think that there is a project uh, the Army is working on uh, right now linked to that. And that really links to, you know, huge country, a huge country and picking where and when you need to defend things uh, as it links to the homeland defense design is a, is a very, um, it's an art, not a science that you are very well familiar with specifically on the missile projects you brought up, I mean, I think maybe I'll give you a, a bit of texture. So the advanced range missile and the medium range missile are being procured in initial stocks against the future fighter capability. This is meant to be a deepening of the magazine for those two missile set, those two missiles specifically to ensure we have enough uh, should, should you get in the terrible situation uh, like you were seeing in the, in the Ukraine, obviously today uh, where they were intercepting these missiles using air launched, uh, air launched effects. Um, the third missile, the long-range missile, is new-new in the sense that it would be a new weapon system that would allow an engagement at a much longer distance uh, as it anchors against the future fighter capability. So I think in, in terms of the defeat mechanisms invested in a NORAD mod, that is where it's anchored. There is a complementary ground-based air defense piece, which is meant to be point-focused, uh, that would also have a complementary effect. But it is a wicked problem in terms of determining where that threat is, assigning a credibility to it, and then assigning a weapon system to defeat it if you had to do that, if deterrence fails. That's a short answer to a tough question. Yeah. Anyone want to add, ma'am? Uh, well, not on that, but I would, wouldn't mind trying to tackle. Do you want us to just pick the questions? We want? Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, what I would say, what's it going to take? Like, does NORAD mod uh, move us closer to, or how does it move us towards that? Uh, war footing, I, I would say three things, really. Uh, one was mentioned in the previous panel, which is, of course, uh, moving to that kind of posture is is a team sport. So we need industry to be able to produce and build up production. And I'm not an expert in that. So, But I do realize that that's an important part of the equation. Uh, the second thing, I think, is building internal capacity. So does NORAD mod help us build the internal capacity to deliver? Yes, we have um, received additional funding to build our internal capacity, at least on the civilian side, and we're working on reconstitution on the military side. So I'd answer yes. The third thing, though, that I think is important to move us to that posture is an, a whole of government effort. 
you don't win a war if only one department is tackling it. You need a whole of uh, government effort. And from a financial point of view, I've seen it in our, uh, I've seen it in how we do Ukraine support. So I know it's possible. I've seen that we can um, access, we can make funding decisions quickly as a government. We can move out within days to purchase something, which means somehow the money got into my bank account that fast. Um, but it takes a whole of government kind of holding hands and saying this is urgent. I think NORAD modernization is a sign that that is happening. Um, it's a nod to the current threat environment um, that it's important enough to invest 80 some billion dollars in it. But it's also, I think, a signal that there's more that's needed. And that's why we were asked for a defense policy update. And I'd say more to come. Uh, but overall, my answer is yes, I think this does move the yardstick in terms of moving us towards uh, where we need to be to tackle uh, the world today and tomorrow. Sure. Okay, I, can, I can maybe answer Brigadier Gibson's question. Um, I, I think the only thing I, I think is risky is, is talking about NORAD modernization in the absence of the strong, secure, engaged defense policy that is extant in the sense that it is meant to be um, filling out the, the domestic and continental uh, defense portfolio uh, more fulsomely linked to a uh, threat that's now demonstrated, quite honestly, in, in Eastern Europe. Um, I think there's a potential risk of our allies perceiving that as us being a continental-only country, and, and that's not the intent. And so I, we interpret uh, NORAD modernization um, as a step towards something larger, uh, alluded to by Ms. Crosby with the DPU, but I also think it is a significant modernization of, of large parts of our military mm -hmm. that will have a, a very potent continental uh, impact and focus and allow us to interoperate and, and, and be abroad in expeditionary sense supporting our allies, uh, specifically under NATO Article 5. So I, I do think that as long as you frame it correctly, um, it, it, it would be well understood uh, that it is not a, a one-trick pony in the sense that it's not only domestically focused. And if, if I can uh, just expand on what uh, Chris has said, the, again, the, I, I think it's, all, it's important to understand that the, it's no longer buy, about buying the next jets, the next ships, the, 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 the upgrade of the, the radars. What, what is going to make it uh, is really the, the digital foundation, the, the, the data-centric approach, the, the ability to, to, to leverage the uh, significant amount of data that we hold uh, currently that we're, we don't have access to because it's locked away in uh, bespoke uh, servers. Uh, the, and those investments that, that are currently being made and announced in NORAD modernization are really the are really the foundational pieces that are necessary for for Canada as a, the, to to become more modern and to be able to fully exploit the those new and modern weapon systems that we're that we're buying. What makes a Gen Five fighter is not it's not a, its speed, it's not its stealth. It's really the integration, the fusion of all the data sources that makes it really a formidable uh, weapon system. And, and it just, it, but it speaks to a, sort of a, a, a transformational mindset inside, inside defense that it, it's, it's not about the sexy stuff, the, the stuff that's, uh, sorry, I, I, sorry, I apologize again. It's, it's not about the, the, the gray metal that the, the, the you can touch and see. 
it's really about the underlying technology and we can leverage it to make sure that the that we can fully take advantage of those modern weapon systems and and, and we need to need to acknowledge that and and make sure that in future investment uh, discussions that we favor the, the underlying uh, enablers mm -hmm. to make sure that we are that we set ourselves up for the for the future not just for the norad but colonial defense and and uh, as a as a as a as a a good nato partner um perhaps as a tangent to 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 the conversation something that i had uh, i had mentioned earlier uh, in the panel discussion that I, I would share with you what i'd like to share with you is what are going to be those infrastructure needs very specifically what's going to be coming down the pipe which which i either you're able to to provide some of your 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 uh, your uh, alliances uh, organizations are or perhaps will be, have technology and will be able to provide us as we as we go ahead and uh, we acquire some of the uh, uh, the infrastructure in, in the north. For example, we talked about earlier uh, runway uh, taxiways, uh, apron uh, apron uh, modifications. So the whole recapitalization of airfields that's something that we're going to require. Hangars, hangarettes uh, required. Security perimeter fencing. Absolutely, come comes back a little bit earlier to the question about how are we going to ensure is the defense of our of our of our um, our buildings, our assets in the north into the future. Security is going to play an important role, and security fencing, perimeter fencing is going to uh, is going to be important. Ammo compounds, you can't forget that we're going to have ammo compounds. Multi-purpose buildings for warehousing, vehicle uh, parking, administration offices, uh, accommodation buildings, combined mess and kitchen. Uh, we'll be constructing access roads, telecommunications facilities, power grids, and we're 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 looking and we welcome uh, suggestions, the technologies uh, that are that are uh, that are currently in place or uh, are being developed right now, and how do we achieve more of an independence in the power generation in the north? Um, electronic shelters are going to be important. I mentioned earlier de-icing facilities, snow clearing facilities. And uh, firefighting facilities. This is just a small list, but just to give you an idea, this is what we're going to be looking for uh, uh, in the north in the, in the coming uh, in the coming years. I, I'm just going to follow on on, the, on your question, yeah. if you don't mind, which is um, uh, yeah, so security, the not just fences. So the acquisition of uh, some of these weapon systems and some of these capabilities have implications that are sort of non-negotiable. And that re requires a level of physical security to meet the standards required by our allies to import that technology into Canada and secure it on their behalf. And so I think uh, the entire enterprise here is going to have to have to figure out how we get after meeting that. I think some of it is technology, uh, and certainly we're watching that play out on the ground uh, in in the Ukraine in terms of counter UAS UAS systems, um, and being able to protect not only the near airspace but the far airspace around these facilities that are sensitive. Um, but it is also the physical security that you need to invest in to make sure they remain safe. It, it, it's a tremendous question and a very difficult, wicked problem given the austerity of some of these sites that you bring up. Okay, I'm going to go back to you, Andrea. Great, thanks. So I have the final question and then we can thank our panelists. Um, whenever we talk about NORAD and NORAD modernization, we're often led to believe that it's all about air power and the Arctic. So I'd like each of you to provide for me your favorite um, East Coast 
west approaches, southern approaches, middle of Canada, maritime warning um, upgrades that are included in NORAD modernization so that we understand it is far more than just air power and the Arctic. A great question for Dr. Tompkins to start with. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a number of facilities um, and projects that we actually that uh, that we have in, as part of the the infrastructure program. Uh, I had talked a little bit earlier about Nana Civic uh, uh, Naval Facility. Uh, we're looking and you know looking across the country uh, QRAs across the country at the uh, the Air Force bases. Um, we have a project uh, underway for the multi-purpose building in Yellowknife, part of the headquarters there. Uh, recently, we've a uh, contract has been signed. Uh, I don't know many of you had known uh, a little while ago, uh, Goose Bay for the uh, support services maintenance contract. I think with the half a half a billion dollars over a period of uh, of uh, seven years. Um, also, uh, looking uh, uh bridging really across the total north from, from almost coast to coast. Uh, we have an operations and maintenance contract that was signed with uh, the Nesituk uh, Corporation, North Warning System uh, in place. So that's a, a large 10-year um, program. Uh, the Inovic runway extension. Uh, and also we've uh, doing, uh, been doing a number of airfield uh, pavement upgrades um, uh, with uh, runways in, in Goose Bay, for example. So that's just a small list of some of the things across the country that uh, that we have uh, that we have underway now. You want me to go next? Yeah, three so under the bus, Martin. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so I, I think the the way to look at it, I think it's a bit too narrow to be thinking about like the regionality of it. In the ascent, uh, in, in essence, it needs to be the place where we choose to have the effect uh, as uh, as the institution that is meant to protect this country. The over the horizon radar uh, piece is is maybe poorly understood even I think internally right now in terms of its ability to be steerable um, in collaboration with with their American partners uh, inside the NORAD context. We're able to steer this energy and beam to look at a specific place of your choosing and take in data from that place. And so I don't think it's really useful to sort of anchor it against specific regionality. It's the ability to steer that effect and have uh, an effect in that region if you need to for, for a good defense reason or a good uh, sovereign reason. I think the second piece is persistence. And I talked a little bit about this when it comes to the tankers. I can't overstate the importance of having these tankers in terms of low density asset that our allies have underinvested in historically, including us for many, many years. It is one of the things at highest demand to keep um, deterrent and defeat mechanisms persisting at the, at the very approaches of our continent. Um, those aircraft that are be both probe and drogue and boom and I'm not sure if that's well understood uh, necessarily, but the fact that Canada only had a probe and drogue tanker for years implied that we could not give gas to the U.S. Air Force. Every U.S. Air Force aircraft is a, is a boom aircraft for the most part. And so it, we had great synergies with some of our allies, the, the Brits, the French, the Australians, but we, did, we were not unable to give gas at the corners of our country uh, to our closest ally and, and, and the air power asset that is most often put at that place. And so I, I think that it's about persistence and it's about choosing where you wish to have the effect regionally uh, as it links to a threat or, or an incident or whatever. I guess I can answer that one too, I suppose, you know, as a CFO. So what would be my uh, wish 
list in terms of those investments, my tongue in cheek answer would be the ones we can afford. But the truth is that I would hope that we would invest in these systems that give us the most efficient and effective effect on surveying and detecting and um, deterring and dealing with um, the threats at hand. So, you know, as much as there's, a, there's limited funding for these things, but this is why we have to work so hand in glove with our commanders and others to make sure that we are investing the dollars we do have in the most effective, uh, powerful uh, systems possible. So that's my true goal and it should be affordable. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Defense Deconstructed, part of the CGAI Podcast Network. If you like the show, please remember to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast app. And if you like your stuff, please feel free to check out our donation page at cgaai.ca slash support. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is brought to you by our team in Ottawa. And thanks go to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Dave Perry, and thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed.